The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 41, looking at this glorious picture of our Lord, the Lord of life storms, the Lord Jesus Christ, and very thankful for Pastor Smith, for his friendship, for his counsel, for his faithfulness to the Word of God, and he's a great encouragement to me, and I'm blessed to call him my friend. And so glad to be here with you this morning. Mark chapter 4. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word together this morning. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. And the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. Help us, Father, that we would have a clearer picture of the glories of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, help us. Like the disciples, we are weak, and many times we enter into trials and storms that we did not plan. But none of them are outside of your sovereign control. You have a good purpose in all that you do. Help us, Lord. Build up the faith of your people. That our faith in your goodness, your grace, and your sovereignty, that our faith would grow this morning as we hear your word. For you tell us that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Father, I pray for those that have not come to genuine repentance towards God and genuine faith in Christ. That this day they would repent of their sin and take Christ by faith as their Lord, their King, and their Savior. Father, do a work by your Holy Spirit in the life of every person gathered here this morning through your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Bless now this time of teaching we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I think upon our Lord's ministry here and upon this storm that is recorded by the other synoptic gospels, I'm reminded I have not experienced in my own life very many storms. In fact, California is kind of boring, and the area in the valley there where I live is usually hot or foggy. That's about it. 
But we got a chance a couple of years ago, I remember as a child, going to the East Coast. My father's family is from Michigan. And we were in Dearborn, Michigan. I was nine years old, turning ten that month. And we were visiting family there. And there, in Michigan, they have real storms in the winter, in the summertime. And I remember it was very early in the morning, and I was having a dream that my cousin, my, who was in his 20s, was beating a large rubber trash can, because I was hearing this thum, thum, thum. I'm thinking, why in the world is he beating up a trash can? When I woke up, he wasn't beating a trash can. It was the thunder outside. It was thundering. There was lightning. There was rain. The, the windows vibrated when it thundered. It was exciting. And my brother and I got up. We went outside. We couldn't believe what we were seeing, such rain and, and thunder. And then when the windows began to shake, that scared us. We ran back inside the house. It's kind of a frightening thing to be in the middle of a storm. And certainly we didn't plan that. And I was so glad to able, that I was able to experience that. Major storms <clears throat> are not fun, whether at sea or the trials that God brings in our life. Yet we learn lessons through the storms that we never would in life in pure calmness. The Christian faith is not just to get us to heaven when we die, though it is that. It also teaches us how to live in a broken, sinful world through faith in our sovereign Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people are promised in Isaiah 26, verse 3, that will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. No matter what we face in life, the all-powerful Lord is always with his people. Storms in life are inevitable in a fallen and broken world. Storms of trials come to families, homes, churches. They come to believers and unbelievers alike. For those who know the Lord, we have the presence of the Lord and his peace in the midst of the storm. It is not a matter of if storms and trials will come. No, it's only a matter of when these storms and trials will come. The writer, Mark, who's sort of the right-hand man of the Apostle Peter, he moves from a collection of parables that Jesus has spoken to the multitudes and explained to his disciples in private. He moves from the parables of Jesus to the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. The order moves from every type of miracle that Jesus did. Here in Mark chapter 4, we see the miracle that Jesus is Lord over nature itself as he quiets this storm by the word of his power. We see then that he has power over the forces of darkness as he crosses the Sea of Galilee and goes to the area of the Gadarenes and there meets a demoniac. A man who is possessed with a legion of demons and the Lord saves him from his sins and demonic possession. Jesus is Lord over the realm of the demonic. And then, towards the end of chapter 5, we see that Jesus is Lord even over disease and death itself. There he heals a woman who had a hemorrhaging, who was hemorrhaging blood for 12 years, and just by the touch of our Lord's garment, she is instantly cleansed and healed. 
And then Jesus goes to the house of Jairus, a a synagogue leader, and his 12-year-old daughter has died. Jesus takes with them James and John, and he takes with them Jairus and his wife, and they go there where his 12-year-old daughter lay dead. And Jesus speaks to her, and by his word, gives this dead girl life again. Jesus is Lord, even over death itself. In each case, the power of Christ is presented as overcoming hostile forces. The emphasis is placed on the fact that man's extremity is God's opportunity to display his awesome character. The action in our text takes place around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, who declared himself in chapter 2 of Mark as Lord of the Sabbath, and of course only Jehovah is Lord of the Sabbath, he shows himself here to be Lord over creation itself. And the key question that our text addresses is in verse 41, where the disciples ask, what manner of man is this? In other words, who is this? Yes, he's the Messiah, but what does that really mean? Who is he? What manner of man is this? The main idea of our text, if it could be summarized in one sentence, the main idea is this. Since Jesus is Lord over all, We must trust him in the storms of life. Since Jesus is Lord over all, we must trust him in the storms of life. Jesus, who has all authority over everything, is worthy of our faith and our trust in him. Let us mark, first of all, number one, the sudden storm, verses 35 through 37. Number one, the sudden storm, verses 35 through 37. Verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Jesus says to his disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. Our Lord, in our text, has had a long day of ministry and of preaching to the crowds there near on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, there in the city of Capernaum. Jesus had been teaching in parables. He gave that wonderful parable of the soils, the soil, the different types of soil representing the different hearts of men. The seed being a picture or, or a, an analogy to the Word of God, how the Word of God is sown on the different types of hearts of men. Jesus taught in parables about mustard seeds and lamps. Many in the, in the crowd were unable to understand the parables, but in private, Jesus explained them to his disciples. Now, Jesus and his followers are headed for the eastern shore. They're traveling to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee to get some rest, both for Jesus and his disciples. But that's not the only reason Jesus is traveling to get rest, so that's part of it. Jesus is also traveling to the other side of the, where the gatherings are at in order to rescue a man demon-possessed. Jesus, who Luke says in Luke 17, Jesus is the Son of Man who's come to seek and to save that which is lost. So our Lord is leaving for rest to the other side, but more importantly, he's going to save a man. Not a, a, not a man who's looking for God, but the Son of God is looking for him. So the Lord tells his disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. 
I want you to mark something that he didn't say to his disciples, let us try to go to the other side. Cross your fingers. Knock on wood, whatever that means. Let's try to make it to the other side. He didn't say that. He said, let us go to the other side. He said it with confidence that they were going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 36. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. Now Jesus, when he was preaching there on the shore near Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, he was in a ship teaching the word of God to the multitude of the crowd there. And as Jesus was in the boat teaching, it had come to an end of his preaching, the disciples get in the boat with him to take him to the other side. Now the Sea of Galilee, it's around, it's actually a freshwater lake. It's around 13 miles in length and around eight miles wide. The Sea of Galilee is known by different names in Scripture, the Lake of Gesineret in Luke 5, the Sea of Tiberias in John 6. This fresh lake water was around as deep as 690 feet. It was around 690 feet below sea level, so it's very low. In fact, it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world The lake gets most of its water from the Jordan River, which flows from Mount Hermon. So here you have Mount Hermon, where there is snow around over 9,000 feet. And here you have this freshwater lake, the Sea of Galilee, that is 690 feet below sea level, where it is warm. And as a result of this, with the mountain ranges being there, where there's cold air, and there is warm air near and over the lake, storms can develop very quickly on the sea of Galilee. In fact, one storm in 1992 produced waves that were over 10 feet tall on the shore. The Bible says, and there were also with him, that is with Jesus and the disciples, other little ships. Now it's interesting, so many, as our Lord starts off going to the other side, there's other little boats that are following Jesus and the disciples. This emphasizes that Jesus is very popular both with believers and just casual observers. And not only Jesus, but also these others that were following, all of them were trapped in the storm. Verse 37. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Now the Greek word here translated storm is used for a furious storm. It is used for a hurricane that is frightening and very dangerous. A storm breaking forth with black thunderclouds, with furious gusts and floods of rain. All of this is taking place to the point where it is so intense that even experienced fishermen, which the disciples were, are in fear of their lives. That's pretty bad. Luke says in his account of this miracle that there came down a storm on the lake, emphasizing how the cold air had come down from the mountains and reached the warm air, causing the storm to happen very quickly. Matthew, in his account, in Matthew 8.24, says there arose a great tempest in the sea. The word tempest has the idea of something, a seismic event like an earthquake. 
a great tempest, a violent upheaval. Verse 37 says the waves beat into the ship, so it is very intense as the water is filling up the boat. Verse 37 says so that it was now full, it is full of water. Matthew has it so that the boat was covered with the waves. This is a heavy storm, a hurricane-like wind, sudden and violent. Now think about it. The disciples are obeying Jesus and going to the other side of the lake. And not because of their disobedience, but because of their obedience, they're in a mist of a storm. One lesson we learned is this. Our obedience to Christ does not guarantee freedom from trouble or danger. Our obedience to Christ does not guarantee freedom from trouble or danger. To obey Christ does not mean you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity. There is no health and wealth gospel in Scripture, although there is a false one on TV. The disciples, because of their obedience, are in trouble. They are suffering, not for disobedience, but because of loving obedience to the Savior's word. The disciples were in the storm because Jesus himself told them to go out into the lake. Jesus took the disciples into the lake where he knew the storm would burst upon them violently. Having a saving relationship with Christ does not mean we will escape the problems that come in a fallen world. On the contrary, Christians suffer the same natural disasters and daily misfortunes as anybody else. In fact, sometimes we may get even extra suffering because of our faith in Christ, which is so contrary to a culture that hates God. We can be in the center of God's will, and yet still find ourselves in the middle of a storm-like trial. Our sufferings never catch God by surprise. God knows what's going to happen. He has ordained it for our spiritual good and for his glory. In August, uh, we had the wonderful privilege of having COVID. My son was sick for under an hour with a headache, and that's about it. My wife and I got pretty sick. My wife went to the hospital for one day. I had very bad flu-like symptoms. I was out to close to a month. It hit us really hard. As I think back and I look upon that, I ask myself, would I do anything different? My honest answer is no. I would preach the same. I would witness the same. I would proclaim the gospel. I would minister to people. I would do nothing different. I was in the will of God serving God. That's the best way to be in the will of God. To know that you're in a trial, not because you're disobedient, but because you're obedient. I was under no illusion that if I served God and ministered to people during the COVID crisis, I would escape COVID. I never had that belief. I knew I could get sick. I knew I could react, like most people, well to it, and I could be among the minority and maybe die. And yet, the safest place for a Christian to be is in the will of God, obeying the word of God. We're to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thy own understanding. 
but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And here is a sudden storm the disciples find themselves in because they are obedient to God. Secondly, we see the serene Savior in verse 38. The serene Savior in verse 38. Verse 38, first part of verse 38, And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Now here is the picture. The disciples who are experienced fishermen think they're going to die because of the winds and the waves and the flooding into the ship of the water. And Jesus is in the ship and he is asleep. During the rocking of the boat, during the thunderous roar of the wind, Jesus, in his perfect humanity, is tired. He's exhausted from ministering all day. And he is asleep, soundly asleep, on the hard wooden planks with only a small cushion for a pillow. Perhaps nowhere else in Scripture do we see the contrast between our Lord's perfect and full humanity in our Lord's awesome deity. In his humanity, he is exhausted and asleep. The fact that he's also not only 100% man, but 100% God, he has power over nature itself as God. Jesus is the one sleeping in the stern of the boat. He is exhausted from intense ministry all day. He is wore out. He's full of fatigue. But it is also true that Jesus is asleep, not only because he's exhausted, but he does have a, a trust in the sovereignty of the Father. Jesus could not die by drowning. He had to die by crucifixion on the Roman cross. As Jesus says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. Jesus could not die by drowning. He had to die by crucifixion as Psalm 22 predicted a thousand years earlier. So Jesus is asleep not only because he's fully human, but also because he has a total faith and confidence in the Father's control over everything, including the storm. Jesus slept in his humanity as 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 he didn't have a care in the world, because he didn't. He was resting in the Father's sovereign care. Our Lord knew that the Father was in control, and he trusted the Father and slept in the midst of a storm when the disciples were panicking. We, too, have faith and ought to have faith that God is in control. What do we learn here? We learn that our Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect example of, of complete trust in the Father's sovereignty. Our Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect example of complete trust in the Father's sovereignty. The psalmist says in Psalm 115 and verse 3, Our God is in the heavens, and He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. It's not that He's doing only what people allow Him to do, or what people vote Him to do. He does what He pleases. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart deviseth his own way, but the Lord directeth his steps. 
Job said in Job 42, verse 2, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought is withholden from thee. Proverbs 19, 21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart, nevertheless the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Our Lord in his perfect humanity shows us what it means to trust in the sovereignty of the Father. Charles Spurgeon said, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. We see this in our Lord's humanity. He trusted in the sovereignty of the Father. We too will learn to trust in our sovereign God in the school of trials. Thirdly, we now move to the scared disciples in verse 38. The scared disciples in verse 38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they, the disciples, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now we know that as many as seven of the disciples were fishermen by profession, including Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They had spent their lives navigating there in the Sea of Galilee. They had been in storms before. But there is something unique about this storm. It is more intense than anything they've ever seen. They were terrified by the wind and the waves. What an extreme storm this was. They were frantic. They were afraid. They thought they were going to die. They were going to perish. So they come to Jesus. They awake him and say unto him, Master, carest not thou that we perish? Matthew notes that they called Jesus Lord. Lord, don't you care that we perish? Luke says that they addressed him as, as master, as teacher. What do we have here? We have the disciples crying, Master, Master, save us, Lord, save us, teacher. Don't you care that we perish? They are frantic. They're scared. They think that they're going to die. The disciples had no legitimate reason to question our Lord's loving care of them. They had already seen our Lord's divine power. They had followed him long enough to know that Jesus genuinely loved them. But in terror, their faith and their steadfastness was replaced by fear and doubt. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus didn't say to them earlier, guys, let's get in the boat. Let's attempt to go to the other side, but we're going to go to the middle of the sea and we're going to drown badly. So just... Gird up your loins like a man and let's go drowned. That's not what he said. Jesus had told them in verse 35, let us pass over to the other side. It is a guarantee what Jesus said. They were rebuking Jesus here. The disciples are coming and there's a sense of a rebuke. Lord, you don't really care. Because if you did, you would not allow this trial to come into our lives. Believers can say stupid things, can't they? (laughs) 
Peter would do it all the time. <laughs> Lord, don't you care? They were rebuking Jesus for sleeping during the storm. They thought Jesus seems to them to be very indifferent to their suffering that they are going through. Remember that the twelve, they're Jews, they, they know their Old Testament, they know their Bible. They know how Moses on purpose led the Jew, the Hebrew people out of Egypt to the Red Sea. They knew that the geography there was the seas on one side, mountains on the other, mountains on the other, and behind them Pharaoh's army, and all of that by God's design. And when the Hebrews got into that situation, it was Almighty God, Jehovah God, who opened up the Red Sea and caused a wind to blow, and it was God and His sovereign power that controlled weather. They knew that. But I don't think they fully grasped who was in the boat with them. They knew certainly God did that for his people, but here we are. Jesus is the Messiah, but what does that fully mean? They didn't realize the same God is with them literally in the boat, in the person of Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. They were frightened. Number four... We now see the sovereign authority of Jesus in verse 39 and 40. Number four, the sovereign authority of Jesus. Verse 39, and he arose, Jesus arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. This is amazing. Genesis 1.1, And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God creates ex nihilo out of nothing. God speaks and the universe leaps into existence. That is something God does and nobody else. On this occasion... Jesus speaks with that same exact divine authority. Jesus had used this phrase of be still, of be quiet, of be muzzled. He used it in Mark chapter 1 and verse 25, rebuking unclean spirits. Now he rebukes natural powers and they submit to the authoritative command of their Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark reveals the authority of the Lord Jesus. Jesus has sovereign authority over sickness, over demons. In Psalm 46, verse 10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. God has that authority to speak with full authority. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. He speaks to nature itself. He doesn't even pray, right? We would be, if we were in that boat, we would be praying. Oh, Lord, let me not drown. No, I want to die in peace at home. We would be praying. Jesus doesn't even pray. He just stands up, speaks to the wind and the waves, commands them. And the Bible says, and the wind ceased, 
and there was a great calm. Here is the storming sea, the wind is howling, the waves are splashing, the boat is flooding, and all of a sudden, in a matter of seconds, these waves, the sea turns into like glass, just flat as marble. The wind that is howling just shuts up and silent. Everything immediately stops. It doesn't begin to stop. And then after around 10 minutes, it finally calms down. No, immediately it stops. Verse 40. He said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Our Lord rebukes his disciples, who earlier rebuked him. He corrects them. The disciples knew Jesus possessed divine power. And yet they lacked faith in him. They had faith, but not enough. They should have had a greater trust in Christ and his divine authority. When their own lives were at stake, the weakness of their faith was exposed. Our Lord wanted to teach them an important lesson, a lesson that we must learn, and it is this lesson. Believers can trust the Lord even in the most treacherous and helpless situations because He is with us. Believers can trust the Lord even in the most treacherous and helpless situations because He is with us. We see a a picture of this in Daniel chapter 3 when the Hebrew children were taken into Babylonian captivity. And there, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerfulest man in the world at this time, erects an image to himself made of gold. And he gathered all the leaders of his empire around this idol, and they played music. And the command from the king was, when you hear the music, you are to bow down and worship this idol. And so when the music was played, everyone did exactly what the government told them to do. Hmm, sounds familiar. <laughs> and then, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did not. They spoke, they brought them to the king, says these Hebrew young men did not bow. Well, maybe there was a mistranslation here. They didn't understand the command. They are to bow with everybody else. They said, no, we're not going to do it. We won't bow. Our God is able to save us from this pit of fire that you, you, you threatened to throw us in. God is able to save us. But even if God doesn't, we still will obey God rather than you. In the midst of that, they didn't bow They were taken, these three Hebrew children, and they were thrown into this fire, this pit of fire. So intense that the very soldiers that threw them in, they themselves were burned to death. And in the midst of that fire, of that persecution, Nebuchadnezzar says, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. God didn't save them from the fire, but the Son of God was with them in the midst of that persecution and that fire to preserve them. This is what God promises all his people. His presence with them in the midst of life's trials and sufferings. John Patton was a missionary in the 1800s to the islands of New Hebrides. 
the missionary who had gone a couple years before him lasted under 12 hours. He was killed, murdered by the natives, and then eaten by the natives. So John Patton went after him to those same people to proclaim the gospel. Say, why would you go to such people? Well, because God promises in the book of Revelation that in heaven there will be people redeemed of every, every tongue, tribe, and nation. That is God's sovereign purpose. He's going to do that. He's not going to try to save a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. No, he's going to do that. Patton really believed that. And so he went to that island to preach. People were not immediately converted. He, he spent many years there, buried his wife and his own child with his own hands. One night, when various tribesmen sought to kill him, he wrote in his journal, Without that abiding consciousness of the presence and power of my dear Lord and Savior, nothing else in all the world could have preserved me from losing my reason and perishing miserably. Another occasion, he was hiding in the trees and they were hunting him to kill him. He wrote, Alone, yet not alone. My comfort and joy sprang from the promise of Jesus. Lo, I am with you always. This is what God promises. His presence in the midst of life's storms. Hebrews 13.5, God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus said in the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If anyone asks us, where is your faith in the midst of trial? Well, we say our faith is in God. Our faith is in the Lord who rules over all, and in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who took care of my greatest problem, which is my sin, by dying on Calvary's cross for me. When Jesus asks in verse 40, how is it that you have no faith? Jesus asked it because he knew that they had every reason to trust him. If the disciples had every reason to trust him, and they didn't know the whole story yet, we who have the whole complete revelation of God in Scripture, we have more reason than the disciples, more reason than the disciples to fully trust Christ in the midst of any crisis we go through. We've experienced the love of God in the, in the cross of Christ. For God commendeth, demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We've experienced the awesome power and reality of the resurrection of Christ and of the empty tomb. We've been given his spirit as God's children. Therefore, when storms come, we trust Jesus to get us safely back to shore. Number five, we see the shock of the disciples in verse 41. Number five, the shock of the disciples in verse 41. Verse 41, and they feared exceedingly. Now pause here. They're scared in the storm. Now the storm has been controlled by the power of Christ's words. Now they're more fearful than ever before. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this? 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. The disciples marveled in extreme amazement of who was in the boat with them. These men had encountered storms before on that same Sea of Galilee. But none were as powerful as this one, and none of them were stopped based on the word of a person within a second. The disciples understood and knew something as Hebrew men. That the scripture is very clear. God alone controls the weather. It's not Mother Nature, but Father God. They know that. Psalm 89, verse 8. O Lord, God of hosts, who is strong like unto thee? Or to thy faithfulness round about thee, thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Waves arise at God's sovereign control, and they stop when God says so. Psalm 104, verse 7. At thy rebuke they fled, at the voice of thy thunder they hasted. God controls the thunder, the lightning, the wind, and the rain. In Psalm 107, in verses 23 through 30, the word of God reads, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonder in the deep. For he that is God commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he, God, he bringeth them out of their distress. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them out unto their desired haven. In other words, when people go through the midst of a storm, realize God's in control. And when you survive a storm, realize it's because God has preserved your life. This is something Almighty God has done. So here the disciples are realizing, yes, Jesus is the Son of Man. Yes, he is the Messiah. But he's even more than that. He has the very authority of Almighty God. He is God in human flesh. And because the God-man was in the boat, watch this, the storm outside of the boats, they're scared. The God-man in the boat, they're really scared. Now this is not uncommon. When men stand before God Almighty and they begin to fear. Job, in the book of Job, chapter 42, when God comes and asks Job question after question after question after question, and Job can't answer them. Finally, Job speaks and says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. When Isaiah, when the year that King Uzziah died in Isaiah 6, Isaiah went to the temple. And he realized who the true king was. And after he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the angel saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah, after seeing God, says, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. 
And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies of heaven. God's majesty is so overwhelming that even a small part of his glory, men cannot stand it being in his presence. And so here are the disciples, they realize who he is. This is the divine Son of God. He has been with us all this time in the midst of the storm. And they're in shock, they're in awe as they see the Son of God with them in the boat. The last lesson is simply this. What manner of man is this? That's the question we all have to decide. What manner of man is this? That is the question we all have to decide. Who is this man, Jesus? John says he is God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 of John's Gospel, he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Made flesh, he tabernacled as, as God in the Old Testament. His visible presence was there in the tabernacle. So now God has come and he's tabernacled in human flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He was born of the Virgin Mary without sin. He fulfilled Bible prophecy even in his birth. He lived a sinless life in obedience to the law of God. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. What God has required of all men, perfect obedience to His law, it is satisfied in Christ. He obeyed the law of God perfectly. He became our sinless substitute lived a perfect life, a miraculous life of miracles, opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead, cleansing the leopard. He came in order to die, to go to Calvary's cross, to go die as the good shepherd. He says, I give my life for my sheep. No man took his life. He laid it down of his own accord. He went to the cross of Calvary to bear the sins of every man, woman, and child who would ever repent and believe in Him. He came not to provide a theoretical salvation, but a real salvation, a real redemption that will redeem people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. He came, He died, took our sins, bore the wrath of God. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and that He sent forth His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. He satisfied the wrath of God. The wrath of God was unleashed and was unleashed upon Him as He hung between heaven and earth, saying, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? He came to die on the cross to bear our sin and to bear our wrath to be forsaken. That way His people would never ever be forsaken. The Father was satisfied with His perfect sacrifice. Jesus was raised on the third day for our justification. He provides a perfect and full salvation for any sinner who will repent of his sin and put his faith in Him. This is who He is. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that God was manifested in the flesh and justified in the Spirit. What manner of man is this? This is the God-man. He shall be called Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. This is who he is. He is the sovereign king 
who stepped out of glory and into time in order to redeem sinners who could not save themselves. This is who he is. But this is a question every individual must answer. Your mom and dad cannot answer it for you. When you die, you may get in on the family program with your cell phone, but there's no family program or plan for your salvation. You must come to Christ alone. You must turn and repent. Paul said he testified of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It was the love of God in Christ that led Charles Wesley to write one of his hymns titled, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Charles had joined his brother John Wesley on a mission to Georgia and the colonies in America in the 1700s. And it was in the fall of 1736 that he was very depressed. Ministry didn't go as planned. Many times that happens. And as he's sailing back to England, they're in the midst of a storm in the Atlantic Ocean. And there they begin God pray that God would spare their lives, but if he chose not to, that God would just give them the faith to continue to trust him, even though it meant death there in the ocean. When it appeared that all would be lost, God delivered them through that storm. Afterwards, Wesley pinned the hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the near waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven guide, O receive my soul at last. What was he saying? Well, it's a simple truth. Life is going to be filled with storms. God never promised that you would not go through storms. But he does promise his people a safe landing on the other side. And that is because of God's grace in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What manner of man is this? He is the divine son of God, who in the gospel welcomes any and all sinners who will repent and flee to him in true and in genuine saving faith in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and your grace for sending the Lord Jesus Christ, our perfect, all-sufficient, sovereign Savior, the one who is Lord of life's storms. Encourage your people. Encourage your church that our eyes would be fixed on Christ, even in the midst of life's storms. Increase our faith, strengthen our faith this morning. For those that have not come to a true faith in Christ, save sinners, Lord. Bring them to genuine repentance and faith in Christ. Strengthen your people, Lord. By your Holy Spirit and through the truth of your word, build up their faith this morning. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for the truth of your glorious sovereignty. Bless your word to every heart gathered here this morning. For we pray and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. 
If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.